Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Good to see you here this morning. Good to have some of the folks on Zoom joining us as well. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have chosen this morning to come and, and gather together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Our call to worship is Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. Starting from verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I'm going to ask Braden if he would come now to read the scripture. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, the first psalm, and I will be reading the, the entire psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and ask you for things. We pray, Father, for those that need you and that they're sick or they have physical ailments, we pray, Father, that you would be there for them. We thank you, Lord, that we have technology that even the shut-ins, they can still hear the word and in a way gather together with us in fellowship. We thank you, Father, that we have book studies and we have Sunday school classes and the seniors' home ministry. Pray, Father, that we would keep that strong and continue on on with focus on the focus on the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for our missionaries that go to the ends of the earth with your word. We know how precious your word is, Lord. We know that it is important that it continue to go to the ends of the world. We thank you, Lord, that we have guidance with your word, and we thank you, Lord, that we have direction and we know what to do, that it's the lost souls of this world that we must go after. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. 
Thank you, Lord, and pray for wisdom and strength. Help me, O Lord, this message is your words, your message. Help me to be faithful and true to what you would want to say. Thank you, in Jesus' name. We do want to welcome uh, Michael Smith with us this morning. Pray that the Lord would bless Mike as he opened the word to us. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Um, let's pray. Lord, help me, Father, to tell your word, not to mix my opinion in it. Uh, help me, Lord, to just rely on your strength and wisdom through the, this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a little nervous today. I guess that's okay, right? It kind of keeps you on your toes, but you don't expect it until like the last minute, and all of a sudden, there it is, you're nervous. <laughs> so anyway, I think I'll get over it. Um, one of the things I was uh, always, I always thought, like, uh, I, the, there were people out there that are Christian, and uh, they, all they do is ever read the red letters. Did you ever hear of this, um, where they don't read anything else but the red letters? And I thought that's very loyal and very um, commendable that you're trying to just focus on what Jesus is saying. I suppose that's one of the motivations. Um, but what I've discovered is that if you want to know who Jesus is, one of the best places to go is to go to the Old Testament because it's talking about him nonstop. It's continually talking about him. Uh, you see Jesus in types and shadows. You see him in prophecy. You see pictures of him. That's basically what you're seeing. And what should you expect when he comes? Who are you looking for? And that, that, that's sort of, that kind of thing. What is he going to do when he gets here? So in the Old Testament, that's what we're, we're doing, is we're looking to see where Jesus is in the Old Testament. It's kind of like um, a picture. You know, uh, you were... Say, say you're ordering something online, or I don't know if everyone does that, but you're looking in a catalog and you see a picture of something. It's not the actual object. It's just kind of giving you an idea and directing you what you know you might be purchasing. It's not going to be the object itself. Now, Psalm 1, which Braden just read, is a picture. It's a picture of a Christian. And so that's what I want to kind of try to get into. In the Old Testament, we see prophecy. We see Jesus. He had to come from the line of David. He had to be born in Bethlehem. And we see in this picture in Psalm 1, this tree. And it's a picture of a sinless life. We also see Jesus teaching parables and those parables being rejected and falling on deaf ears. And ultimately, of course, what we're seeing is Jesus the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And that's what we're looking at when we see the Old Testament. That's what we want to know. So, one of the things, one of the places we can look to see Jesus is Psalm 1. And if we look at it, we can say a couple things about it. We can say it's about a tree and we can also say it's about Christian life, and contrast to that, the ungodly life as well. But a Christian life is 
a life that we are trying to reflect or imitate Christ. That's what our point is when we're living as Christians. We don't just say we're Christians, we're trying to to act like something. And so in Psalm 1, the Christian does not walk in the counsel of the world, of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners and he doesn't sit with the scornful. Instead, well, the ungodly will take the advice of the world and he will agree with the world and stand with it and then join in to scorn others for their sin, also scorn God and become self-righteous and eventually just completely reject the instructions of God and become blind to his own shortcomings and his heart, heart only hardens and hardens. And so that's the contrast being made here in Psalm 1 between the godly man and the Christian. And the blessed man knows the word of God and knows that it's the solution to fix his problems. The godly man knows that he's a sinner. So Psalm 1 is a picture of a Christian. And it's also a picture of an ungodly man. So what are we talking about when we're saying ungodly men? We'll go to John 6 if you're following along in your Bible. I don't know what page number that is in the pews. Uh, but John 6 here, and I'm not going to go through it all. You can just follow along. I'm going to mention verses here. We're going to stay here for just a bit. There's a great multitude of people that are following Jesus in John 6. And they saw him doing miracles, and they saw him healing people, and so they're following him. They see him as a teacher, and they want to listen to him and, and, and follow him. And so what we need to do is we need to look at this great multitude of people and learn from them, because those people are us. Just like everybody else you see in the Bible, wherever you see somebody, whether it's a Pharisee or Peter or Isaiah, you have to see how he... Is what lesson that person is teaching you because it's something that you need to learn. So this great multitude of people are in a place where there's no food, and so Jesus feeds them, and that's that miraculous miracle of feeding the 5,000 plus women and children. So many people are making food come from nowhere, and this is a great miracle. And so at this point in time, the people, the great multitude of people, are not, you know, eventually they're going to say crucify him, right? They're going to say crucify him. But right now, they see the miracles, they see the hearing, the, the healing. Jesus feeds everyone, and they say, in verse 14 in John 6, this is a prophet. He is the one we're looking for. And in verse 15, they try to take him by force, and make him king, right? And John says something. John is all about believing. He writes his letter so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that through him you'll have everlasting life. His subject is believing. And he says this thing in this, this statement, John says, in chapter 2, verse 23, he says, Many believed in his name, Jesus' name, when they saw the miracles, which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. He knew 
their belief wasn't the belief that was genuine. He knew that they followed him because he provided them with food. And that's not the reason why Jesus came. They followed him because he healed them physically. And you see, those are the things that he had to do so that we would know he was the one to come, right? We would know he was the Messiah because he would do these things. He would fulfill scripture by doing these things. But that is not the reason why he came. He didn't come to give them bread and heal them so that they could have a little bit of a longer life and maybe a happier life. That's not why he came. And you see later on, he's um, further on in the chapter, he walks on water and they can't figure out how he's gotten to the other side of the sea, but they're, following him, they're still following him and they're still impressed with what he's doing. So why is it that they like him, right? Well, I, I just said it. They see that he's able to get the things that they want, right? The food. I mean, he's better than a doctor, right? Maybe we, eventually they can conquer the oppressors, the Romans that are that are oppressing them, and, and they could deliver the Romans into their hands. You know how helpful that would be if you could have somebody heal you when you're on the battlefield, for instance, let's say. But then Jesus says this in chapter 6, verse 27, Do not labor for the meat which perishes. He's drawing a contrast here. The ESV says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. The contrast. Don't work for this, but work for this. And Jesus uses this language in chapter 4 when he says, My food is the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, what Jesus is saying to the multitude, you are so consumed with getting what you want you don't even think about what God wants. And so they ask him in verse 28, what does God want? What should we do to do the works of God? What should we do? What should we spend our time and our energy doing? What pleases God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Wow. Oh. Well, you want us to believe in you. You show us some signs and some more miracles. And what work will you perform? And if you're taking requests, you know what you should do? You should do something like Moses did and, and make food come from the sky. Manna come from heaven. And then we could have a dinner and a show. And they're just thinking about themselves. Really? Right? What are their interests? And Jesus, I would say, patiently explains, it wasn't Moses that gave you that food from heaven. It was my Father, God. And the manna, the food that comes from heaven, you don't understand. It's just a picture of the bread you really need. And then Jesus tells them, I am the food that you need. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. So I thought it'd be interesting to just look at that word a little bit, believe. What does it mean? Maybe make sure that we're doing it. Does it mean that we should just believe that he exists? Is that what that means? When you believe? Today's dictionary, you might find the definition for the word believe as to think something is true. And I don't disagree with that, but I just think that that's incomplete. And James, in chapter 2, addresses someone who was basically saying, I don't need to have works. I just need to have faith. Right? Didn't Jesus just say, all I got to do is believe? You got works, I got faith. And James would say to them, faith without works is dead. So what does this word mean? Right? Well, I guess we're going to have to go to Hebrew, and, and I don't know Hebrew, I just am kind of, you know, you can go on the internet and you can do your own word searches. It's excellent. I mean, uh, the meaning that is behind these words that we use that sometimes we don't understand and I'm not going to do a comprehensive word study on this, just to give you an idea that this word does mean something more than just to think that something is true. And I would encourage you that you would go home and do your own study. So the word Hebrew, or the word Hebrew, the word believe is amen. That's the Hebrew word, amen. Did you know that? That's the word we translate to believe. So when you read believe, he believed, she believed, it's amen. And I could tell you the pronoun. Amin, amin is how it is. And the, 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 the mean, the men part, the, the mean, okay, I'm going to try to stop that. The, the one part of that word, it's very interesting. It's the root part of the word. <laughs> It's the parent word, and it's the, the, the man part of the word. And this man part of the word is, when you look at the picture form of the ancient Hebrew, it's a picture of water and a seed. Water and a seed. That's the man part. And... So, water in the seed. This is, and I'm, ta- I'm still talking about believe here, okay? So, think about it. What happens when you put water and a seed together? Something happens. A plant comes into existence. A tree comes into existence. A person comes into existence. That's really what happens. They weren't there, and now they're here. They're, they're, they come into existence. Um, the plant, animal, person now exists. And so believe has this idea. At one time there was nothing, and then you believed. And something came to life. Something now exists. Something started. There's a beginning. Believing is like a seed. Again, When you water it, it grows. And seeds need to be nurtured. You've got to water them. Now, 
Let's go back to the seed, the beginning. The static information that's contained within an apple seed will never grow into an orange seed or anything else. But when it's activated, it grows into an apple tree. And believing means that the seed, seeds of faith are planted and then they're watered in your heart and they grow. And be, people become Christians. John 3, verse 3. We talked about that this morning. Born again. It's a beginning of something. You see? That's what this word belief means. The seed and the water come together and the beginning of something happens. And it's by this, the Word of God, the water, the Word of God that we learn the character of God, who He is, and we become like Him. Right? It just makes sense. It's con- it, doesn't- it goes exactly how nature is. Faith grows into something. It's like a plant or a tree. It just reminded me of the prophet uh, Jeremiah 9.23. He-, he says, Let not the wise man... Boast or glory in his wisdom. Let not him boast in those, the mighty man boast in his might or the rich man boast or glory in his riches. But let him that wants to boast and glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's the water flowing. So the plant's watered and it grows. And believe also has this idea of continuing on. Like that seed, it it continues on. It produces plants which produce fruit, which produce more seeds, and then more plants, and so on and so on. Believing has this idea that we're to continue on. Uh, Jesus says it like this in Mark chapter 4. He was talking about the seeds which are sown on good ground. And then such people hear the word and receive it and then bring forth fruit themselves, 30 to 60, 100 fold. I seen a a video of uh, somebody took a one um, sunflower seed. And it was the idea, they showed the one sunflower seeds and then uh, uh, fast forward like time lapse until the sunflower was grown and then they had a handful of sunflower seeds. So that's the that's the the idea of believe. Right? It's a perpetual thing that, that there's plenty, many seeds. Believe means to continue on and to keep alive, right? And it also needs water. And that's the word. That's the word of God. It needs water. Believe, amen. It's also another thing is that it's got this abstract quality, which is hard to explain of, you know, when you believe something, you're sure. It's a certainty. You're certain about this. So think of this picture, a pillar that's holding a building up. Right? Believe is like that. Are you a pillar trying to hold the building up? Right? 
or, or, or believe is like concrete that hardens and holds things together. Like bridges and, and buildings, right? Believe means that you're firming things up. Holding them together. Last thing, and we'll move on. Believe means that you're a kind or a type. Or you fall into a category. You're set apart. That's what holy means, right? You're set apart. You fall into a category. If you look at the word kind in the English dictionary, it means a group of people or things that have similar characteristics. They group together. Apple trees make apple trees. Elephants hang around with elephants and Christians. Well, they continue on and they're, they, they gather together. And so, so sum up. Believing is not just thinking that something is true. Instead, faith is hearing the truth and is desiring to hold firm to it. We see the evidence and we want to sustain it. We want to nurture it. We want to hold it up. We use our energy and our time to keep this from falling apart. We wish to protect it. And we fall into a category. We become a Christian. We become a kind, a type. Uh, we wish to gather with people that think the same. And it's just like nature. You know, uh, tigers hang around with tigers and, and so on and so forth. And Hebrews 10 Verse 25 says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves, right? We're to come and get together, gather. So believe the Hebrew word, amen. Amen. We also have a model or we have someone we can look at to figure out what we need to do and what we need to believe. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the model of our faith. He's the purest form of who we wish to be. That's a Christian. We can look at what he did and what he said, and we, we could know what we need to do and say, right? If we believe in him, we're going to have a desire to be like him. That's what a Christian is. We're going to desire to love more than we do today. And we're going to desire to do the work of God and keep on getting better at that. If we believe, we're going to try to say and do what he says we should do. And we're going to try to be like him. So, Psalm 1. Um, Luke 24, Jesus says this, and he said this to his disciples. This is right at the end of the book of Luke. He says, These are the words which I have spoken to you while I was with you, that... All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Psalm 1 is about Jesus. It's the perfect picture of a Christian. And that's what a perfect Christian is. He'll be Christ-like. And he's presented as a tree planted by rivers of water. And if we turn to Psalm 1, we read in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit 
in, a season, in his season. See, a Christian or someone, a, a, a one who wants to be like Christ, will bring forth the works of God in his season, the works that God has sent him to do. In this picture, it's a tree that does not fail. It has no sin. It accomplishes what God sent him to do. And so for us, if we believe, we not only want to grow an understanding of what God is or who God is, but we also want to replicate him and do what he does in truth and in love, right? And so if you believe, you become a tree planted by rivers of water. Now picture it. Picture the tree. Now I, I'm going to add in, there's a mountain in the back, because if you want a good river, you got to have a good mountain, you know, with the snow on the top of it and everything. And, and so even if it doesn't rain, of course, right, it's going to still get water. So plenty of water, plenty of water. This is the idea of this picture. This tree has a river with a mountain, plenty of water. Never stops flowing. And the water that flows from that mountain, that's God, right? In the picture, God, the high place, God. So the water that comes, it's pure, it's clean, it's from God. It's pure, clean water. And if you look at the psalm, what is blessing the man? But the water. The water is the blessing for the tree. Right? For the man. So, if you remember the story in John chapter 4 of the woman by the well, Jesus says this, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's pointing to the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Water, in Psalm 1, is this life-giving source to the tree. And it sustains the tree. The Word sustains the Christian. Water is like the information flowing from God. The law, the Word of God, it comes from God. You see in Psalm uh, verse 2, His delight is in the law of the Lord. The information that comes from God. So if you're a tree, and you have the Word of God flowing through you, like the water, one of the things that happens is naturally the tree grows and it starts to bear fruit. And what is the fruit for Christians? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And you can go to Galatians where Galatians 5, Paul writes about the Spirit. And he says in Galatians, we have been made free from the law, as Kirk was pointing out this morning. We were made, been made free from the law in Christ. We now live in the Spirit. The contrast. You still be condemned by the law, but now live by the Spirit. We know this, that we're living by the Spirit. 
because of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is the works that we do. It's what we say and what we do. It's not just our words. It's our actions as well. Being fruitful is being faithful and actually doing something. Not just words. Words are important, but words alone don't work. People will see your faith by your works. I mean, this means, you know, whatever you can do. You're shoveling in someone's driveway. You're writing them a letter. Just being there with somebody. These are the things that uh, are the fruit of the Spirit. Being fruitful is doing things that, uh, when people didn't even ask you to do something, you just do it. You're serving You're sacrificing your time, your money. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Good works, someone said this, good works can speak louder than a thousand sermons preached from the housetops. So believing is not just telling people you believe, but showing them that you believe and bringing forth fruit. And when you have the pure water of God flowing through you, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, verse 22, Paul shows us what the fruit of the Spirit is, and it's what you produce, if you're a Christian, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And if we live in the Spirit, he says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Not just talk in the Spirit or do nothing. Walk. Chapter 6, he goes on to say this. Takes up a step. We're to restore one another. Did you know that's your... It's not just you you have to look out for. You have to look out for everyone. You feel you're okay? You're a Christian? You're doing fine? You better start working on everyone around you now. Because you're obligated. It's your responsibility to restore one another, to bear one another's burdens. And whatever a man soweth, that shall he weep. That's what Galatians says in chapter 6. So the blessed man, in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So one of the things, I, I, the word law, is it's a good word. Um, more, more correctly translated would be the direction um, and law is good, but if you read it like this, he delights in the law of the Lord, or he delights in the direction that God gives him, right? This is good. The Bible, the Word of God, it's the truth. It's the true direction. The instructions are correct. They're right on how to live your life. It's nothing but good for you. The law is your instructions, and it benefits you, and it benefits the people around you. That's what God is trying to compel you to do. He's not trying to be, do this and do that, and it makes no sense. He's trying to get you to live your life the way you should be. And I thought of this story. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved uh, Legos, I guess. That was one of the my favorite toys was Legos. And my kids now are growing up, and they're... They're, they're playing with Legos too, so I buy them a set of Legos. And in the set, there's like three or 400 pieces for, for a small kid, right? Three or 400 pieces, 
can be really confusing. But the thing that helps tremendously that the piece doesn't, or the set doesn't only come with pieces, it comes with instructions as well. So if you do it right, the object that you're building should look like the picture on the box, right? If you follow the instructions. And it's, it's amazing how many times I have to keep reminding my kids to read the instructions and not skip steps. And it just seems to be our nature to just want to do it our own ourselves. But think about that. I don't know if you've ever put Legos together. Three or four hundred pieces. Could you imagine trying to do it without the instructions? I don't think it's possible. Yeah, so read the instructions, right? Blessed is the man who delights in reading the instructions, right? And meditates day and night. What's this word meditate? <laughs> this is an interesting word too. It means to utter, uh, muse, mutter. Ever hear somebody talking to themselves? Oh, I've got to get this done and I have to go over there and we need to do this. And There's something that just consumes their mind that they begin to speak out loud. And, and if you ever caught yourself doing this, you're just hoping that no one heard you, right? So you're pondering the idea. It's always on your mind. You want to learn it. Your delight, that's the word delight, is in it. You look at it as something that is valuable. You meditate on it, and then you delight, and you look at it as something valuable. You long for the time with God, and delight means that you see is it, it's valuable. These instructions are, are very valuable. If you were on a beach, let's say, and it was a huge beach, and you walked from one end of the beach to the other, and near the end of the day you realize you've lost your ring, your wedding ring, because you put too much suntan lotion on or something. And you don't know where you lost it, but you know it's on the beach. It's very valuable to you. Are you not going to go retrace your steps? And when you don't find it after that, be on your hands and knees at that point. And then when you don't find it at that point, you'll be sifting through every grain of sand till you find it. You'll look and look and look and look and look because it's valuable to you. Verse 3, bringing forth his fruit in a season. Interesting. What does that mean? Well, I'll use myself as an example. Um, 23 years ago, I became a Christian. Um, there wasn't much fruit back then. At the very beginning, I think I went, to, you know, maybe the one or two times I went to church, I don't know how much really changed about me. I think there was a lot changing, but you wouldn't see it. Um, <clears throat> and there wasn't much fruit. But then I thought about it. I was kind of calculating it in my head. and I went to church most Sundays for the last 23 years. And so I thought, I wonder how many Sundays that would be. And I found out it was just over, I'm not going to give you the exact number. It was just over 1,000. So I'm sure I didn't come every Sunday. So let's say I went to church 1,000 times. I'm sure I went twice, many times. 
um, let's say a thousand or two thousand times I went in 23 years. So that would be like a thousand or two thousand hours, right? It's better than nothing. I mean, it's actually pretty good, right? Like all of those messages that I heard. Oh, but I'm here to tell you that I don't believe it's even close to enough. I calculated again with my calculator. I took it back out that if I took off the time that I slept and I took off the time that I worked over the last 23 years and say, I know everyone's different, but I'm just saying I had an average of maybe six hours of time. I played with my kids. I, I did all kinds of things. I did, and I did read the Bible and I did all kinds of things. But all of that time added up is 50,000 hours. Now let's say if I would have just went to church one Sunday a month, and then one Sunday, one Sunday a week, and I didn't do anything else, I would have wasted 49,000 hours. And thank God I didn't waste all of it. But you know what? I wasted a lot. A lot. And I still have a long way to go. I go and I waste time. And I'm not trying to... I, I, I'm. I, when you look at it, what does your heart want to do? You know? I, my heart apparently wanted to waste a lot of time. I mean, at least thank God, sometimes I was interested. But that's what I pray for. That my heart would grow in the desire of God. Psalm twenty-seven, uh, Psalm thirty-seven is our memory verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I don't know how to delight, so I have to ask Him. I don't know how to cause my heart to desire this, so I have to ask Him. And He says. This, in Psalms 119, we should delight in his instructions and not forget his word. Psalm 119, verse 16. It's not because we have to read it, it's because we, we want to read it, right? We delight in the testimonies because they are our counselors. That's 119, verse 24. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. That's Psalm 119, verse 77. And I can go on and on. But if we come to church for one hour a week, for 23 hours, it is a thousand hours, and that's good. And I think you should keep doing that if you're doing that. But what are you doing with the other 49,000 hours? And is God going to be a part of any of it? Also, Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So why do we learn? Why do we read the Bible? Well, verse 17, That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then, Chapter 4, 
in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Why? Because that's how it works. So the water of this picture is the word, the instructions. And it's what produces the fruit, the good works. And the opposite of that is the ungodly. The the chaff in which the wind blows away. You know what chaff does not have? Water. It's just dust. Water nourishes the tree. And we can see how being faithful is, is how is being fruitful. Well, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, please give us the desires, O oh Lord, that we need to read Your Word. Cause us, Lord, to delight in Your instructions. Help us to grow in the knowledge of You. So we know that the ungodly are like the chaff which the wind driveth away, and eventually they shall perish. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the glory of God, that the love of God sent His Son to die for us, pay for our sins. Help us to be an example of Him. Shine our lights into this world. Help us to see, Lord, that this Word, Your words, Your instructions, Your Bible, Help us to see that they're priceless. We thank you for your word. and In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.